0: It is coming up just after two o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. Yes, we've got the Eye of the Tiger, the theme from Rocky, because we have a modern-day Rocky Balboa in studio, a man who recently I think achieved uh, one of the great feats of human endeavour, and that is swimming a 100 kilometres there or thereabouts in trying, testing conditions in deep water where your mind can play tricks. I have been lucky enough through my own sports career to have done some pretty tough things mentally, having to break down um, some pretty tough days when you're tired, but anything I've done pales in comparison to what my guest in the studio achieved, and that is that swimming solo for 100 kilometres. His name is Jono Riddler, and he joins me in studio. Jono, good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. When you live something every day and you surround yourself by like-minded people, I think sometimes you lose sight of the wood through the trees. You start to think that what you do is normal, Um, but it only requires people who are normal to make you realise that in fact what you do is completely nuts and, in your case, extraordinary. Are you aware of how extraordinary your achievement is just how few people can do what you've just done?
1: No, I, I, <laughs> I think that's one of the interesting things, that, especially in retrospect. You know, it's been almost coming on four weeks since since doing it, and the further that time passes from having done this thing, the more normalised it feels to be. And immediately after it, it felt, you know, still this crazy difficult thing. But in my mind, like it's much more normalised now, and it's hard for me to look at that from any other perspective. It's hard for me to empathise with what it might look like to somebody else, because it it is. It's just just the new normal normal for you.
0: Yeah. I always say this about these things. It's not something you just wake up and do. This is a natural progression over a long period of time. And I think in an interview we did prior to it, you said that you started by doing a harbour crossing swim, which was about two kilometres, 2.5 kilometres. What, back in 2011, 2012 was yeah, it? Yeah,
1: 2011.
0: So basically, 12 years on, and here you are, you've just slowly built, you've slowly um, continued your progression, gone from swimming the Cook Strait, FOVO Strait. Um, having done swims from sort of Mutterpuri, I think to the Poor Knights, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's 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 simply extraordinary. What what was the moment where suddenly you thought this is what I want to do? This is what I love doing. This this is this is who I am.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's been a few moments along the journey as well. Like that first swim that I did, that two point eight k across. Uh, Auckland's Harbour swimming from Bayswater to the Viaduct that there was a moment at the end of that when you know I just felt this elation on finishing it and then I remember you know five or so years later doing my first marathon swim a 10 kilometre distance uh, from Dowie Boat Club uh, around the corner uh, to, to St as the as the final landing point that again I felt that sense of you know achievement and completion and you know, boundaries kind of shifting and then Cook Straight was another salient moment as well. On the on the back end of that, I really felt that, you know, the opportunities were opening up in a big way and, and that was the first of the big channel swims that
0: I had undertaken
1: and, and since then, you know, we've <laughs> gone on to do a few but, other things. But you
0: must enjoy the journey. Like, we're out there swimming and we go, you're right, we're, we're looking forward to the finish line and that's where the enjoyment comes. But mm. for you to dedicate so much of your life to this you you must just love being out there though, you must just love being in that water, like you're looking at differently to say what the average person is looking at yes you're swimming, they're swimming but you're almost one with it and that's your happy place
1: Yeah I I think it's a good point, you can't just focus exclusively on the achievement, the accomplishment because you know that's such a small part of it Uh, in the lead up to this recent 100 kilometer swim I couldn't tell you how many hours I spent in the water like it was was a it was a big part of my life and and yes there were parts where the journey of it were uh, it was difficult but um, I do enjoy the journey and I I I think that's where you you get a, a lot of your evolution as a person as, as, but as what is it? is
0: it? Is it salt water running over your body if I can get sort of holistic? I mean what is it? Where does the enjoyment come from? Specifically yeah. What What makes you so happy? Why is that your happy place rather than standing on the top of a mountain? <laughs> yeah I
1: think there's a few things. One is as you say just being immersed in the water and being in nature. You know there's something that's very natural about it that to be in that environment it's something that that calls me back anyway. I don't know if it, if it calls everybody in the same kind of way, but I just love being being out in the water and I do feel in a way kind of complete in that environment. You know, I feel like that is uh, that's somewhere that I'm meant to be and then doing these large open water swims, it's kind of the highest expression of myself in a way. It's that combination of physical and mental challenge and then more recently the environmental piece as well. So I do... You know, everybody has an opportunity to find what uh, is meaningful to them, what makes them tick. And over time, I've just found that for whatever reason, this th- yeah. this thing is is the thing.
0: Were you searching through it through school? Were you searching it through your twenties, looking for uh, looking for that um, harmony, uh, looking for that um, what is it that what we're all looking for? Some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, some sort of happy place that we can sort of permanently. Sort of sit in so that you know we enjoy our life,
1: yeah, definitely, like in my late teens and and early twenties, I think I was looking for it in different areas, like partying and and socializing and and that kind of thing, and then, when I started my career uh you know i I went full into that and and really immersed myself in that, and then and probably my lid. Uh, mid to uh, late twenties. That was that was when I was having more of these kind of soul searching conversations with myself around, you know, what is what am uh, what am I actually doing? Where am I going? What uh, what's the purpose of all of this? And you know, I've tasted a lot of things uh, along the journey of my short thirty three years, and eventually, I'm I'm fortunate enough to say that I have been able to find something that is really meaningful to me.
0: Is it meaningful or is it an addiction? Or do they uh, go I, hand in hand? I, I think, <laughs> yeah.
1: I think uh, there's definitely elements of it that, that are addictive. You know, that sense of uh, doing something difficult, achieving it, that's very add- addictive. The physiological side of things, so going out and getting that kind of endorphin rush, that's, <laughs> that's kind of addictive in its own way.
0: The mental fortitude side of it, were you always somebody who was mentally tough? Did you always deal with adversity quite well growing up? I mean, to do what you do, you have to have a head like Granite. You have to be as tough as they come. You can't, this is not a physical thing. This is a mental thing. You know that. We'll discuss that a little bit bit later. Mm.
1: Yeah, was was I always this way? I think I always had a leaning toward adventure and exploring. I've always been pretty calm and measured and I think that that helps with Undertaking these long in- endurance activities, endurance swimming in this case. Over the last five years in particular, like I've really solidified my mind and just mm. calloused it in a way that uh, wouldn't have been possible if I wasn't doing these difficult mm.
0: challenges. Do you need to be a certain personality? Like I, I'm in, I I like to consider myself to be sort of creative, and a lot of people in this industry are creative, and most of the creative people I know were a little bit. Um, crazy We all will struggle a little bit maybe emotionally at times I don't think we're always that stable can you be a creative to do this do you need to be a certain personality type what how would you describe your sort of personality can you be creative I, I think
1: yes you could be creative but as long as your mind isn't bouncing at a thousand miles an hour because and I think
0: that's where I'm getting at yeah yeah.
1: if uh, a large part of it is keeping your mind in check and not letting your mind derail you during the course of these things, like the physical side is one thing. But if, you're, if you do let your mind spiral and you know, creative types, I guess, have a, more of a reputation for <laughs> bouncing around in their head a little bit. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's not really how,
0: how my mind is. This is a very individual sport, um, you know, particularly swimming um you, you, you can't hold a conversation underwater hmm. uh you don't always have um you know a, a visual st- stimulation like you get in running do you uh, do you have to be reclusive are you are you reclusive no i I'd, I'd consider myself
1: pretty social but um you can't be that social in the water as you say but i think i am very comfortable with my own company and very comfortable in in being in my own head. And that definitely helps. So it's not like I (laughs) avoid people outside of the water. I think that's actually one part of it though, that the community of it is really what draws me in as well.
0: But to do this, rightly or wrong, you've got to be incredibly selfish and self-centered. that that's a prerequisite for doing the training. I mean, there's there's no argument there. Mm. I mean, it is a selfish sport, training for Ironman. All of these things are selfish sports, and you need to have good people around you, and you need to have understanding people around you. Because you know it, and I know that when you're tired, you get grumpy, and you're always going to take it out on those closest to you. Uh, so, so in terms of those that are around you, what does your sort of network look like?
1: My immediate network, uh, the people that I go to first around... These kind of swimming adventures would be my wife Sarah she's really supportive I think she's seen the journey over the last you know five or so years and she knows what it means to me and how it's changed me as a person and improved my life and our lives for for the better and then my dad's another good sounding board just for, for any ideas and any kind of emotional struggles that I'm going through but I've got some really good mates in the swimming community that uh, you know, I, I go to and that, um, that I surround myself with, you know, people like uh, Mark Lenartz, who was there for this recent 100K swim, um, my buddy Ivan, uh, a yeah, bunch of people that they do the marathon swimming thing and they, they get it as well.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. How important is balance, though? Because I always remember when I was a young athlete, that that's all I did, and the harder I trained, the more bad days I had. So I'd come home and life would suck because I had nothing else. So if I had a bad day, life sucked. And then I started to realise that once you, you know, have those bad days, but if when I started going to university or I had a girlfriend, then I then had at least something else that I could, I could switch off from training and switch into something else, and then worry about the next day. Uh, do you need to have balance to do what you do? You need to have focus, I don't know balance probably like you need to make al- sure that
1: yep. that you, as you say, when you have those bad days, you have something something else you know it's not not your everything. Uh, I've never been entirely focused in on swimming you know i I still work, I still hold down a job and and obligations around that, so you know when when I'm training, it's probably those two things it's it's work. And it's swimming. Everything else really drops off from there. So there's not a there's not a whole heap of, of uh, of of balance.
0: The fact that you do work, the fact that you are married. I used to say that if you've got all day to train, you take all day to train. <laughs> the fact that you've got those other responsibilities, does that put urgency into what you do? Does that mean that you've got to manage your time? That you've got to be more disciplined?
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, you make the most of the training sessions that you do have. So I was. Squeezing in what I could during weekdays, you know, in the mornings and at night, but then most of my training would really be over the weekends, doing these long ocean swims, starting at whatever hour uh, of the morning, just to be able to squeeze it in, really.
0: And in regards to that, because I mean, I, I say, you, you know, you've got to show your body and training to a degree. What happens on race day? Now you're not going to get into a 30 hour training session hmm. because you're not simply going to recover from it. But you're building up to 18, 12, 14 hour type swims as part of it. But you still need risk management around that. You still need a support crew. Where did that come from? Who was giving up their time to make sure that you're okay on a Saturday morning training for an event that might be still six months away?
1: Yeah, there wasn't really anybody like that. Like it was, it was a pretty just old school. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty solo journey. Like, I had a a physio and and an osteo that I was seeing during the latter stages because I had a shoulder injury that I was working through. But otherwise, I'd turn up at the pool, or in the case of these longer ocean swims, turn up at the ocean at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning and be on my own and swimming for, you know, six, seven, eight hours.
0: Okay. But in terms of the catering side of it, looking after yourself nutrition wise, was it just a.
1: Self-catered. Self-catered. Just uh, liquid feeds, put them in a, a tow float um, or one bottle in, in my tow float and then my other bottles would be up by my car and I'd swap them out during the course of the swim. So it, it avoided, I guess, putting some of those uh, obligations on other people and meant also that I had more flexibility, that I could go out at... Uh, you know, stupid hours of the morning to,
0: to do so, my thing. So very much the quintessential old school New Zealand story, that a little bit of that she ride right in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a, some kind of boundaries around it uh, in the sense that, you know, I'd touch base with Sarah, I'd say, oh, you know, I'm expecting to be out of the water at this time, so you know, I'll call you then. And I wasn't going like deep into the ocean either, it was swimming up and down Takapuna Beach, so I had a, an out if needed.
0: Sixteen minutes after two, you're listening to SENZ. Jono Riddler is my guest in studio, who just over four weeks ago uh, did one of the great feats of Human Endeavour, swam 100 kilometres solo from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore. We'll take a break and we'll come back with more from Jono. Endurance swimmer Jono Riddler is my guest this hour. We put the spotlight and focus on one of the great feats of Human Endurance, one of the great Uh, human endeavours by a New Zealander in recent times, swimming from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore. It is not a pleasant stretch of water. It is deep water. It is lonely. And let's be fair to say, uh, there is a lot of sea life in that particular part of the world. Uh, John, I I, want to go through the mental side of it because I'm just trying to wrap my head around how you can switch off for 33 hours. And I tried to put this in context and the build up to you doing this and then post you achieving what you achieved and I said look imagine waking up at 10 o'clock, well imagine having coffee with friends at 10 o'clock in the morning and then you go back to work, you work lunch and then you have a full afternoon at work and then you get in your car and you drive home and you have dinner and you might put your kids to bed, you watch some TV, uh, you go to bed, you wake up at 6 or 7 o'clock, you head to the gym, you go to work, at 10 o'clock you meet the same friends, you're having coffee. You're still swimming. And then you've still got another nine hours on top of that. And here you are basically in speedos, no wetsuit, having to drink basically liquid calories to keep the energy up with no real visual stimulation other than looking at your hands entering the water. I mean, it is simply extraordinary. We was so, so the morning you woke up and say an hour before starting this, were you excited? Were you focused? talk us through your sort of psyche?
1: Yeah, I think um, the morning of I was trying not to overexcite myself or get overtaken by any nerves or anything like that. Like I'm on Great Barrier Island, I'm looking out to toward uh, the channel and it's beautifully calm weather. But I know that I've got a big couple of days ahead of me and just trying to not think about the entire you know, challenge that's ahead. I was doing quite a bit of visualisation, just kind of stepping through the motions in, in my head. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm starting the swim, I'm swimming out in the ocean, now I'm rounding a little barrier, now I'm doing some night swimming, we're coming up on Tirituri, And then we're going to the finish and I'm walking out at the end, you know, just kind of doing it in
0: a sense before actually stepping into the water. Okay, you decide you're going to go. You jump into the water, you take that first stroke. What are you thinking about for the first hour? As little as
1: possible, and that's like a theme for the... But how do you you think
0: it little as possible? You you can't go to sleep here. Yes. So, so, So you've got to be thinking about something.
1: It's really just staying in the moment as much as you can. You know, not, not casting a head, I, I, let, I do let my mind wander a little bit so long as it doesn't take me into that negative space. And as soon as it does that, I bring it back. But where, where I'm really trying to get to is that flow state where my mind is just empty, it's hollow, and it's detached from my body and my body's doing its thing, it's turning its, its shoulders over.
0: How, how do you learn that? How do you do that? Repetition. Just build and, up a, a resolve.
1: Yeah, and and I've done quite a bit of, you know, mindfulness meditation as well, which helps with being in the moment mm. and then eventually you if you're in the moment enough, you do go into that flow state.
0: And what was the what was the nutritional strategy from the start? Eating every half an hour, forty five minutes, every hour?
1: Uh, forty minutes. So mapped out forty six feeds every forty minutes and it was a combination of liquid feeds and some solids along the way so I had you know, things like little mini donuts and jowls and, and the like
0: So knocking off 46 feeds I'd imagine is another way of breaking things down but I'd imagine at times too it could also create some mental duress for the fact that you think man I've only had 10 feeds and I've still <laughs> got 36 to go mm. or you could look at it the other way, I've got 36 to go I've already knocked 10 off Do Do, do you shift between both when you're out there and you're mentally fatigued?
1: I wasn't counting the feeds and I think it's a bad idea to do that as you say you know exactly where you are like I told the the crew beforehand I don't want to know how far I've gone or how far I've got to go or how much time has gone or how much time has got to go but in a sense I I kind of had an understanding of you know a little barrier would be about 25k into it at the top point and then coming down to, off Carwow Island when day's breaking, it's probably going to be about 60K and then 80K to Turi And, you know, so I've got these markers. And then the other part was that the crew was changing over every three hours. So I kind of, like through the night, for example, I I knew that there were going to be four crew changeovers. And
0: so I kind of <laughs> looked forward to that. Mm. Like I'm out there often swimming and I'm swimming on my own and i look down and I might just play around a little bit with my stroke and my catch and the way I push through. Are you doing anything like that out there? or? Are you... Playing with anything here, <laughs>
1: Mate, it, yeah, thinking just, about uh, the
0: hydrodynamics of swimming, and thinking, <laughs> yeah. well, I've got enough time; I could just play around with a few things here. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, p- <laughs> playing around, as you say, just trying to uh, get that perfect technique. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> it was, but, is that just
0: something you might switch into for ten minutes to get rid of another ten minutes?
1: Yeah, and and you know, it, it became kind of triaging like issues with pain that I was encountering, and so having to. Modify my stroke to be able to deal with that pain. So it and was what, less of what, like a perfection. But
0: What was the pain that you were feeling? Uh,
1: so around Little Barrier, like off the top of Little Barrier, I started getting some gut distress. And so I, I skipped a feed and the crew noticed that obviously. And I told them, you know, I'm, I'm not having a very good time. And then at the same time, my triceps started cramping and I, I was getting a bit of shoulder pain. So that that was probably the the first memory of of that uh, that kind of pain and then uh, eventually my gut did settle. I don't know exactly how long it took but it would have taken the whole night I think to to get through that.
0: And was that a case of eating something different or a case of just drinking water and eating nothing?
1: Yeah, one of my liquid feeds was was taken out. This uh, um, pretty thick one called Perpetuum yeah. which is like a multidextrin mm-hmm. and protein blend so we took that out for a, a short, well, you know...
0: D- I always say to athletes that I was helping doing the Ironman that, you know, during the swim or during your warm ups, do some negative visualization. What happens if you come out of? Um, what happens if you get your goggles kicked off or someone breaks your nose during the swim? What are you going to do to deal with it? What happens if you come out of transition and your bike tires are flat, or you end up picking up a drafting penalty? You know, work through these scenarios in your head and come up with a plan. Did you work through those negative scenarios in the build up to this? The possibility of stomach. Uh, potential cramps or did some of these things that ended up happening to you during the swim um, surprise you and you hadn't prepared for it?
1: Gut distress I didn't fully expect so we did have a whole list of things that were likely to be encountered during the course of it from a safety perspective and that we had mitigations for but the gut distress that had to be Accounted for at the time, and then obviously, obviously, I was going to be in pain, so I expected that you know, that mm. it kind of goes without saying.
0: When was the how far into the swim before the first sort of um, real mental duress hit you, and you had to sort of go, Right, this is one of those periods of low time, um, I'm going to have to s- switch into this, I'm just going to have to work through this, I'm going to have to bring a strategy into play. Did it come at the first hour, second hour? When did it when, when did that first? <sighs> came in waves so like
1: off off the top of Little Barrier that was pretty tough had to work through that with the with the gut distress eventually it settled off we had a pretty nice night of swimming uh, so that was that was reasonably pleasant and then I remember being maybe 10k off Tiri Tiri and uh, wanting to see where it was couldn't see it and that sent me into a bit of a negative spiral so that I had that again but Again, work, work through it.
0: And, and what are those negative spirals? What what are those images? What are you thinking about when it gets negative? What, what uh, are you, do you feel sorry for yourself? Um, are you angry at the world? Uh, do you start doubting you can do this? I mean, describe what that spiral looks like.
1: It's just frustration, really. You know, I, I wanted to, it was just silly, really, because I've, I shouldn't have poked my head up and, and looked where I was going anyway. <laughs> because it's better just to you know, look next to the support boat next to me rather than looking ahead and and that was a mistake. So I shouldn't have done that. And and then I got frustrated. I was oh I I should be able to see it by now. I can't see it, where is it? And and so just dealing with some of that frustration of wanting to be closer, wanting
0: to <laughs> to be able to see where I'm aiming towards. I'm still so. So let's just take say you're 17 hours in the swim. What have you thought about for 17 hours? What different things have you thought about?
1: It's it's so hard to say in retrospect. I know I did a lot of counting, like counting your strokes or just working yeah, just through and sets one, of six. Two, one, one, two, one, two, one, two, over and over again, and then one, two buckle my shoe.
0: Did you focus on little <laughs> like a, a paint mark on the side of your support boat, and that started <laughs> to sort of. You know, like when you're sitting in a waiting room, sometimes and you'll stare at a spot on the wall, or you'll look at the lines on a, mm. you know, on a on some wallpaper, and yeah. for some reason, you you start looking at the design. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, at, at night, the boat next to me had this uh, red LED strip on the side of it, and that was that was a bit of a focus point. And then, you know, like the bioluminescence in the water, that gave me a little bit of excitement. So. Yeah, I wasn't looking at paint chips or <laughs> anything Describe like swimming it, through
0: yeah. those biolucent, biolucent Is it bioluminescence? Bioluminescence. My apologies. Explain what that's like? Just swim through. Oh, amazing! Like it's like, it's like Avatar. Is, is it wide? Is it like? Is it across in front of you, or is it just a narrow little strip that you're well, swimming in?
1: it's it's like when I'm entering my hands into the water, my hands are sparking up. You know, with this green light. And then I'm pulling my arm through the water, and it's it's sparking up again. So it's it's pretty cool. It is kind of like Avatar, you know, how how there's just those amazing colours. It is like that, like this. Yeah, it's kind of an outer world experience in a way.
0: Twenty eight minutes away from three o'clock, you are listening to SENZ, Jono Riddler, a remarkable young man who has just achieved one of the great feats of human endeavour in sport, having swum a hundred kilometres from. Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore is my guest in studio. If you've got any questions, you can text them through here on double eight double three. You're listening to SENZ, Jono Riddler, Endurance swimmer, my guest in studio talking about this remarkable achievement of swimming from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore, a distance of around 100 kilometres, trying to get my head around the mental fortitude required to do this and how you break that down. I often say it, but politically incorrect these days. You can't eat an elephant hole, but you can eat it in small pieces and you've got to be able to break it down. You've got to be able to play the head game. And let's be honest, Jono, there must be a point we, uh, if you can swim 20K, you can swim 25K, and if you can swim 25K, you can probably swim 30K. There's only so far that you can actually train for an event like this because you simply don't get the time then to recover. But you've also got to look after your mind a bit because you don't want to suffer so much in training that you can't get yourself up when it really, really counts. But how much of it is this, – this whole thing is mental, isn't it? Surely. I mean, don't get me wrong, you've got to have a huge – physical component to it but it just gets to a point where it's then mental where you could have somebody equally as fit as you but the reason why some finish it and the reason why some don't is the mental fortitude the top two inches
1: yeah it's it's completely physical and completely mental at the same time but your body will get you started and then your mind will finish it you know so what i've seen with some other good swimmers is is that um they reach that what they think to be their breaking point and it's not actually their breaking point and uh it's because their their mind isn't able to push through that pain and that difficulty and as long as you can understand that
0: when did that breakthrough for you come, though? When did you come to that realization that, in fact, you can go beyond those? Because I'd imagine at some point you would have had some swims early on when you were learning this and when you're slowly progressing, and it is a natural progression over time. When did you. Is there a particular swim that you sort of suddenly thought, you know what? There is a barrier and I went through it today.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of <laughs> like difficult. Um Difficult swims and encounters w- with, uh, you know, b- having to push through that that barrier. And one of them I, I remember was my first ten k swim. I probably got about seven k through and you know, <laughs> almost almost was like uh, half crawling to the finish line, but but eventually made it. But I think something that comes to mind was uh, is like a a quote by David Goggins. I don't know if you know David Goggins, but um, this is when you when you think you're done, you're only forty percent done, and so I've always had that in the back of my mind. Is when you feel like you're, you know, you're at your limit, you're not you're not really at your limit. You've got a long way to go.
0: You're talking about Terry there and going through the night and the sore stomach, and I, I'd imagine based on the experience you've had, did you always believe that you were going to come right at some point?
1: Yeah, I just had you know you just have to keep going. I did have some doubts that maybe if I had that gut distress at that point and I was cramping and I had some pain that it would compound and then that would force me to stop but uh, at at that point that wasn't really an option so I just kept on going and luckily worked it through but there was definitely, you know, probably 60 or 70k into it uh, with still another 30k to go where my body was just in pretty significant levels of pain and and having to keep going. You know, my, my legs were Shaking so much from from that pain, I thought it was hypothermia, but uh, uh, my legs were in a really bad way and in my arms. And, just,
0: and what was that, Judith? Was that just cramp?
1: Uh, I had a massage a couple of days before the swim and got worked over, and then I think it—you know—I got found out during the course of the swim. So that was a learning.
0: Yeah, because there is a thing I think they measure called creatine kinase, which is the breaking down of muscle. Yes, and you have blood tests afterwards, and was yes. that, I understand was fairly high.
1: Yeah, it was very high. Yeah, mm. a normal person would have levels of about 200, and I had levels of seven and a half thousand of that marker. They said it's only a problem if you get up to about 10,000, but uh, definitely a an indication of my muscle br- breaking down pretty heavily. And I was diagnosed with a mild case of rhabdomyolysis, which is where the your muscles break down and release a toxic protein through your kidneys.
0: Now, you're clearly swimming in salt water. You are going to take mouthfuls of salt water at times, particularly yep. if you hit the wrong swell and suddenly you're breathing to your right and you breathe and suddenly you're just timing, you get the white water. How much salt water did you swallow and what are the dangers of of swallowing too much?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I swallowed a lot. I couldn't tell you how, <laughs> how much I swallowed. But uh, one of the dangers, well, one of the things that I experienced was a really raw throat and mouth you know my tongue and uh and back of my throat so i I wasn't able to eat without pain for about five days afterwards um trying to have a sandwich i remember that night in the hospital and it it was like eating sandpaper so i was uh, on on the yogurt diet on the liquid (laughs) diet for for a wee while uh so that's one of the things and then i guess my my body's probably more uh, used to it than Then some others as well, taking on all of that salt water.
0: At what hour, at what threshold did the real, real mental fortitude kick in, physically and mentally? You know, they often talk in the marathon 20 miles of hope, six miles of truth. I've seen guys leading the marathon at 31 kilometres, sitting in the gutter at 35, Uh, 180 kilometres for Ironman. You know, I've seen guys leading at 130 kilometres and, Dancing with Mickey and Donald in Disneyland at 150, it can all change very quickly. There's a certain point where things become exponential. What was that marker for you?
1: I think it was coming out of Territory Passage, you know, just just past Territory Matangi on my left and I've got the peninsula on my right and coming in closish now to... You know, the likes of Long Bay and and some of the recognisable landforms, and I'm in a lot of pain, and the weather's really coming up. Like we've got big two metre swells and twenty five knot winds, and uh, just the combination of those things, sleep deprivation, exhaustion, and yeah, that that was that was a tough period. It was probably the last you know five or six
0: hours of the swim. How did you deal with it? Did did you was it just a little bit of encouragement from people in that support boat? Were you looking for some encouragement at that point? How did you cope with it? How did you deal with it?
1: I think at, at that point I I did rely on my crew pretty heavily. They gave me some 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 good words. Some uh, you know we had some straightforward conversations, and uh, because I was getting you know, a little a little bit short and uh, not in the best headspace, they picked up on that. Had you
0: ever been in that place before? On anything you'd done, had you been in that place before?
1: Not, not with that level of pain. And then you know the hallucination later, uh, hallucinations later, and that kind of thing. Like,
0: what were you hallucinating?
1: I I saw on the support boat next to me, I saw a snowman, and
0: okay, so you're (laughs) right, yep.
1: And uh, um, solar panels and picture frames on the water surface, and then tiles. On the like the water below me when I, when I put my hand underwater, um, so yeah, some interesting stuff, and I've never hallucinated before, uh, so that yeah, that- well, no
0: one's ever found this before either, so it's not like there's someone out there that can take the guesswork, i out. I mean, Philip Rush, a long, long time ago, did the triple crossing of the English Channel, uh, which was remarkable in the water for 28 hours or so, um. But again, different conditions to what you have experienced, no one in more recent times is there to say, "Hey, look, these are some of the things that you need to be aware of. I mean, you're writing this book as you're going I did
1: a lot of research, I guess, in the lead up watching ultra marathon running videos, and they they would talk about those kind of things, like the hallucinations that they were experiencing, so I kind of knew that it would be a thing and and that I might encounter it. During the course foot but yeah it's a it's a small handful of people that have kind of done a you know a, a swim of of this um, of this duration of that
0: distance you're listening to SENZ John O' Ridler endurance swimmer my guest in studio we'll take our final break we'll come back with more Seven minutes away from three, you're listening to SENZ Jono Ridler, Endurance Swimmer, my guest in studio. So Jono, you've got to a certain point in the swim where you're now asking for people uh, in your support crew to give you that little bit of a pick up, to try and help you break this down, to try and encourage you to keep pushing through what very few people in history probably have experienced. Um, And then at some point the decision is made that Enough is enough that we've got to be careful now that, Jono, you're starting to hallucinate, you've got cramps, uh, there is a genuine safety issue here. And like I say, it's not, you know, the onset's been there for a while. Was that one of relief or was that one of disappointment or was that just complete respect for your support crew and that was always the plan? Yeah, I did
1: did trust the support crew to be able to make the right decision and it was a safety call ultimately. You know, the the waves were coming up pretty sharply at that point. And one of the main concerns was actually that the inflatable that they were on would crash onto me, <laughs> uh, but they couldn't give me too much space uh, by the same token, because if something happened to me, then they needed to be able to react sharply. It was dark. So, you know, just keeping the right distance was, was getting really difficult for them. Um, and then the next landing point after Campbell's Bay, where where we eventually finished, was Caster Bay. And between that stretch of land, there's some cliffs, basically, but there's no real safe landing spot. So on that basis, you know, I think it was the right decision, and it was respect and relief more than anything else. And and I said to the crew, I don't remember this, but I said I, you know, they said, oh, John, are you okay with this? And I said, I don't want to die tonight and then we swam in <laughs> off off the back of that.
0: Mm. And so when you get an understanding that what they tell you you've you got ten or fifteen minutes left of swimming or and does the excitement then kick in or is it does that fifteen minutes feel longer than the last thirty odd hours?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean it was it was at that point it was swimming directly into the beach. So we probably had I don't know, three hundred metres or so and I can't tell you how, how long that took a lot but uh didn't at that point i think it switched from because uh, i was in quite a bit of pain and just really trying to fight the conditions fight the tide because it was an ebb tide at that stage that uh there was some relief ab- uh, about you know being able to, to head in and I think the time passed pretty quickly from there.
0: Yeah and for these to officially count you've got to be able to get up on two feet, you've got to be able to walk yourself up onto a beach over a certain distance and you've got to be able to do that unaided and were you confident you could do that? Did you get cramped when you stood up?
1: Yeah my legs were in all kinds of pain and they were just all over the place after not using them for 33 hours and you know I was a bit dazed and <laughs> and confused and but, you you know, you're just, you're just in a machine mode, really.
0: Mm. OK, someone just wanting to know, did you see any sea life? No, did you see any sharks?
1: There was no recognisable marine life for, for the duration of the swim.
0: OK, and just talk a little bit about Live Ocean, which was one of those, um, which is an organisation set up by our two America's Cup sailors, and primarily what is the focus?
1: Yeah, so Live Ocean... Is an ocean conservation charity that was set up by Pete Burling and Blair Chuk, and uh, I partnered with Live Ocean uh, for this swim to bring a re- awareness to the state of the Hauraki Gulf. You know, I've spent a lot of time swimming in the ocean with my head underwater, and I've been able to see and experience both amazing, some amazing things, but also the degradation of. Of this slice of ocean in particular, over even just the last five years, and, and what so, has led to that? Uh, human intervention, primarily. You know, uh, I think the main things that I've seen personally: uh, massive levels of sedimentation, uh, kinna barrens around all of or most of the islands in the Hauraki, with kinna just wiping out kelp uh, and general decrease in, in fish life. Is there a solution? yeah it, it's to deliver the revitalizing the Gulf plan that's the main call to action off the back of this. And swim. what is that plan? Uh, it, it involves a combination of, of different things, but the things I'm excited about increased marine protection and limiting uh, things like bottom trawling and scallop dredging pretty heavily.
0: Mm. And where do people find out more information about Live ocean?
1: Uh, you can go to I think it's LiveOcean.com and read, uh, read all about it.
0: Okay, now I asked whether this was an addiction or not, and I think all of us have got to do it for something with so much passion. Of course, there is a level of addiction to it. What next for you, mate? Where, where do you go from here? How, how do you surpass what you've just done? Oh, I, I think
1: I came pretty close to my limits on that night, but there's still more exploring to do, so no doubt there there will be something else. I've I've kind of been toying around with an idea, but... It's too early to pull that to the surface yet.
0: Yeah, and and four weeks on, you're okay. Nervous system hasn't sort of taken a hammering. <laughs> you haven't come down with glandular fever. You're still coherent.
1: <laughs> no, good. So just got a little bit of a niggle in my wrist and that's it.
0: Mm. Now, we do want a big shout out to your dad, Gordon. I live out at uh, Muraway And again, he's been a big supporter, big fan of yours. Incredibly proud of you.
1: Yeah, no, he's uh, he's been massive. And I was using his ice bath and sauna pretty heavily in the lead up as well for some... Uh, Temperature resilience.
0: Mm. Well, John, it's been um, look an absolute. We we could probably spend another hour on this, but we are just now starting to run out of time, mate. Look, uh, abs- absolutely incredible achievement, mate. Uh, and uh, again, I just can't comprehend um, the mental fortitude required to do it. And mate, congratulations. And you know that the, the th- where people should be inspired is the fact you look at you, mate. You just look like the average guy on the street. Yeah. <laughs> it just shows th- what can I be can, done. I eh? kind of feel, <laughs>
1: kind of feel pretty normal as well. So yeah, th- thanks for having me. Thanks for for chatting. And uh, look, if anybody wants to find anything more out about uh, Live Ocean or myself, just look us up on <laughs> Instagram, and it's the best best place to follow along.
0: John Ridler our guest this hour here on SENZ.